Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Well, I feel we're in harmony. When I read my text, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm going to do that in just a moment, but right now, let's go to the Lord. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Let's ask God to touch us. Everything that's done today, there's a lot that'll go on. Hallelujah. Let's pray for God's will to touch each and every one of us. Hallelujah. Minister to us to anoint everything that's done and said because we just don't want to go through the motions. We want God to touch our efforts. Hallelujah. To just strengthen us and guide and direct us. Hallelujah. Let's pray. God of heaven right now. Hallelujah. We thank you right now for the spirit we already feel. So we ask you right now from the very beginning, God, we need your holy anointing. We know this word is anointed. So God, we ask you anoint us, Lord God. Anoint our minds, our hearts, Lord God. You know what each and every one of us has faced just to get here. So we ask you right now to gather our thoughts, Lord God. To bind us together in one, Lord God, in one accord, in one mind, one purpose, one goal. Hallelujah. Touch us, God. Let your Holy Spirit rule in us, Lord God. Minister this day. Have your way, Lord God. Every bit of ministry that goes forth, God. Touch and anoint, Lord God. Strengthen us. We don't want to go through the motions without you, God. We got to have you. We can't do this on our own, Lord God. But I know with your anointing we can do it. God, and I thank you for what you're going to do. Touch us today, God. Have your way, Lord God, and minister this day. And we'll thank you for it. In the holy name of Jesus, we love you, God. We love you, God. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. There's a song that actually Brother and Sister Boyd sings that um, I'd heard part of a story on here. I don't know. It's been months and months ago. But what I wanted to do is just, I just actually looked it up, and I just want to read. This is from the individual that actually wrote the song, and this is just, I just, I'm not going to read the whole article, but this is just part of it, but this is his story. And me, I just, I don't know, I just something in me, I guess it's just, for lack of a better term, the research in me. If there's a a song that's sung, if there's a story behind it, I want to know the story behind it, you know. And that's why, that's what intrigues me so much about the Bible because I don't want to read it like a novel because the Bible is so rich in history and it can anoint us with so much and speak to us directly with so much purpose. That's what I love about God's Word. That's why I just don't want to pick it up and just read it. You know, God anoint me with what's behind this. That's what I want to know. But anyway, this 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 story goes like this, and I'm just I'm gonna just jump around a little bit, but I think you'll get the the purpose of it. It was 1974, and the man says, "This was the trial of your faith, worketh patience." They was living in Apple Valley, California. At this time, he had entered into a partnership with an old friend, actually building swimming pools in the high desert. Everything seems to be going fine. Everything was terrific. The customers were being satisfied. Everything was fine. But the building season was fixing to come to an end, but they had nothing to worry about. The man said that they had a bank account full of money. Everything they thought, everything that they had was needed or fulfilled. They had a lot of money. Everything was done. The guy was actually a singer, him and his wife. They started another group with another couple that says he just considered they had a pretty fair country gospel sound. They named the group the Country, country, uh, the country con- uh, Congregation. 
He wrote most of the music, and the, he actually um, secured a recording contract with Calvary Records in Nashville. And while the group was developing, though, he noticed something disturbing in, the, in their business. The business was actually shrinking um, in, the, in, in, in the bank account, but the, the business was actually growing, but the bank account kept getting lower. So he just... He just couldn't figure out what was going wrong. And him and his partner, he told him, he just said, you know, I don't really know what's happening. He said, business is good. What's happening to our bank account? We had a lot of money. So finally, he just got with his partner. He said, something's got to be done. And his partner got so frustrated. And he said, in the meantime, he just basically locked himself in a room, took the books. This was 1974 now. Locked himself in the room, and when it was all said and done, there's 22000 in the hole. And he said what little bit of money they had, they invested in this so-called wonderful business, which basically said now we was broke, didn't have no money. Everything we owned was in here, and we was 22000 in the hole. So I don't know what that translates into our day, but then 22000 in the hole. So he went to his partner, and his partner was just, I can't deal with it anymore. Let's just bankrupt the business and be through with it. And he just said, I don't feel we should do that. I feel we should take and try to work this out. And his partner just flatly refused to do it. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. If you want to do it, you do it. So we signed everything over to him, including the $22,000 debt. said, it's all yours. You deal with it. So he said he really didn't know what to do. He uh, took and said he prayed. And naturally, all of a sudden, he's not part of a debt. He's the sole owner of the debt. But he has the business. And he said, you know, it's just, he, he sings. He says he, in his songs, he talk about a God that will answer prayers. And, but he said, here I am waking up at night wondering what am I going to do. So he takes and he says, one night, gets out of bed can't sleep it happens to us all whether you owe anything or not life I drive you from the bed so what he done I mean he was just a song he just wrote songs. I mean, he just sang songs. That's just what he done. I mean, God uses us in different ways. And just, and I believe, I mean, I'll just stop long enough to say this. I believe that's one thing we should really, really stay sensitive to. Ever how God uses us. When the enemy turns something on us and it drives us from our sleep where we should be getting rest, let God use that for our good. Devil, you sorry dog. If this has drove me from my bed, I'm going to let God use it for my good. I'm not just going to lay awake and worry about this. God, speak to me. I'm awake. Speak to me. So the man said, he, he was a songwriter, so he just didn't stay awake. He grabbed a, pa- uh, a pad and a pencil. He said he looked at the clock. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. Why does always things get worse at night? I don't know. But they do. And he said he had this little tune clicking in his head. And said he just started writing. He said, life is easy. When you're up on the mountain. And you've got peace of mind like you've never known. But things change and you're down in the valley. Don't lose faith because you're never alone. He said he thought, thank you, Lord. And then just part of the verse is the God of the mountain is still God in the valley. When things go wrong, he will make them right. Now, I won't, I won't quote all the, I mean, you, you're familiar with the song, but that is the song that he wrote. When he got up. So through this, 
I mean, I'll just tell you the end of the story of the, the building that he did over that. Actually, a man called him. His son had been disabled. He was actually in the service. He was disabled in the service. He needed a special pool built. The man built the pool, and it's just how God would do it. Another veteran heard of this, another one, another one. Before long, the man can't build them fast enough. I mean, God literally, not only the 22000 was gone, I mean, he's got money in the bank, he's built all of this, God has blessed him. But in 1975, they recorded this song, and then um, another group, I'm going to just go out on a limb here, and I'm just assuming this was Southern Gospel. <laughs> I'll leave that alone, though. Um, the First Baptist Church actually um, recorded this, and a man called him and says, your song is number 10. And he said, what's number 10? So the guy literally told him, and, you know, and then uh, the McCainies recorded it, and it went to number one. It stayed at number one for five months, and, it, and then up to this time, it remained number one for five months, and the song drew more radio points than any other song in gospel music history. This little song, he says, comprised of 72 words and four chords has encouraged thousands of people. Now, my point for saying all of this is this. This is what I want to talk to you about today. Is God will meet you right where you are. It doesn't matter if you're here or you're here or life is here. It doesn't matter. Sometimes we are here and sometimes life drives us here. We like to live here. But I'm telling you, we serve a God. It doesn't matter where you're at. It don't matter where life has drove you or where life is driving you right now. But God will meet you right where you are. Right where you are. Some people think that, that God won't do that or, or I got to do this. You don't have to do nothing but acknowledge the, the spirit that you feel tugging you. That's what you have to acknowledge. And no matter where you're at or what you're going through, God will touch you. And I believe that's why that song has touched so many different people. Because you find yourself, I mean, if, if, if somebody didn't understand the terminology in which we speak, they'd think we're spiritually bipolar. Because they think of the God of the mountain, the God of the valley, and you're just walking, walking along. But we understand what we're saying. It doesn't matter where we're at. God is going to meet us no matter where we're at, no matter where we find ourselves. I mean, we try to stay here all the time, but life won't leave us alone. Sometimes we're here and here and here and here. It doesn't matter. God doesn't say, what are you doing here? Or what are you doing here? God says, okay, I'll meet you. I don't care where you're at. I'll meet you. If you hunger and thirst after me, then I'll find you. That's all you have to do. I'll find you, and I'll meet you there. So that's going to be my title, right where you are. That's where God will meet you, right where you are now. I'll give you, I'll, I'll, we'll start. Romans 5, 19. You'll see why I said I believe, since we started, why I believe that we was together. Romans five nineteen. If you have it, just read it with me. If not, just follow on the screen. This is Paul in Romans five nineteen. It says, For as by one's, one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That the sin, that, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, God gave us grace at a time when we needed it the most. God gave us grace. Now, I'm going to leave that alone just a second. And one thing I want to do is contrast two people. I want to look at 
two of the kings that God gave us. He gave us Saul and he gave us David. And I want to try to go through, through these as quick as I can. But he took, if you want to turn with me, I'm going to just skip back right quick to, uh, I'm going to turn back to 1 Samuel, the uh, 8th chapter. I'm going to read some in just a minute. But basically, Israel told Samuel, you're getting old. Your sons is not following in your way. Therefore, we want a king. We want a king. And therefore, we want to be like other nations. And Samuel told him, you don't need a king, for you have a king. God is your king. Therefore, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't want to be like other nations. And in 1 Samuel 8, I want to read there. 1 Samuel 8 and 7, And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not re rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them, according to all the works which they have done since the day which I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so also so they do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto the divorce, howbeit protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. Now, after Israel protested to Samuel, give us a king, he went to them and he told them at least, I can read 30 reasons why they should not have a king. He literally told them, now here is Samuel, he's not just some guy off the street giving them a reason why they shouldn't have a king. He is their priest. They should have listened to him. And he's telling them, you should not have a king. You have a king. But literally, when it's over, they said, okay, say your piece. He gives them 30 reasons, and when he's done, they just say, okay, where's our king? They didn't even acknowledge what he had to say. So he's talking, but we will have a king over us. We want a king. So he's telling them, we want a king. But Saul was the first king. So Samuel, he anointed Saul. He is made king. The Bible literally says, now keep this in mind about Saul. It says, when he was made king, that God gave him another heart. Now some makes a lot about that when he turns his back. The Bible talks about when Saul turns his back from Samuel and God gave him another heart. I don't really have a whole lot to say about that. All I know, the Bible says that God gave him another heart. In other words, he changed Saul's heart. Hold outlook on the way that he should look at what he had to deal with. So, but the reason I'm saying all of that, God, in his wisdom, now, you, you can't look at the end of Saul and look at, did God make a mistake? God gives us a free will. I believe with everything that's in me, Saul had the ability to be king. Saul is the one to do what Saul chose to do. I believe God put everything in Saul that should be. Therefore, we can't. I can't stand before God and say, if you would have just gave me a little bit more, I could have lived for you. That's why I'm saying that the Bible talks about that he turned, in other words, when Saul turned, that God gave him another heart. I believe he gave Saul the ability to be king, to lead and guide Israel, to judge Israel, to do everything, to fulfill all the duties, therefore, that Israel was going to need. I believe that God gave him the ability to do that. So he did this. And literally, and here's Saul. His humility is so great. When they go to make him king, they can't even find the man. He's literally hiding. They say, where's Saul? He's supposed to be made king. The Bible says he's hiding among the stuff. So that was his attitude at the beginning. He is literally hiding. They have to literally find him to make him king. But when you read... When Saul had reigned for two years, Jonathan, they gather together at this place, Gilgal, Jonathan attacks a garrison of the Philistines. But now, the Bible says, now Jonathan, his son, the Bible says, attacked the Philistines. But Saul had it noised abroad, all of Israel. Let it be said that Saul attacked the Philistines. He wouldn't even give his own son the credit for attacking it. In other words, 
It ain't no little me anymore. I'm king. I'm the man. Let Israel look unto me. I'm the one that attacked them. I'm the one that's protecting you. Not, not God is your protector. Saul is your protector. I am the one that's doing this. So literally, he done this. But Saul, he said, let Saul, let, let all of Israel hear that Saul had attacked them. Is what he was saying, or that's what he did say. But the Philistines gathered together to fight uh, with Israel. So in, I'm going to skip over now if you, if, you, if you want to. Turn with me to uh, uh, 1 Samuel, just a few chapters over to 13. 1 Samuel 13 and 8. And this is where Samuel tells him, you go and you wait for me. You wait seven days. And then I'm going to come. Samuel the prophet said to Saul, you go wait seven days. I'm going to offer burnt offerings, and I'll tell you what needs to be done. This is, this is what's happening. And he tarried seven days according to the time that Samuel had appointed Excuse me, but Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Now, verse 10. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the offering of the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and he went out to meet him that he might salute him. Now, I read this. And I just went on. And it just seemed like I just, this is where, I was just made to come back to. I could not get away from this. Samuel, the Bible tells us, was a one of, the last judge, he was a priest, and he was a prophet. Saul was the king. You did not mix this. Samuel plainly told him, you go there, you wait for me. Seven days. On the seventh day, Saul didn't even let the seventh day in. He's looking at the people. And he said, the people are scattered from me. And I don't see no prophet. I don't see no priest. Do you see one? I don't see one. Bring me the sacrifice and I'll do it. I don't care if you are the king. You are getting into something that you are going to draw the wrath of God on. If you are not a priest, you better leave it alone. So he takes, he goes out, he says, bring that to me. And then he takes, he was neither a priest or a prophet, but since he thought he was the king, he could do this. He was so wrong. He went out to meet Samuel. The Bible tells us in verse 10, as soon as he made an end of the offering. See, Samuel came. Samuel did what he told him he would do. At the end, if he had waited one more hour, Samuel would have came. Samuel did come. And, but verse 10 tells us, as soon as he had made an end, Saul went out to meet him. That was his mistake. He went out. I read into this. He went out, basically, like a priest to bless him. In the Hebrew, it says he went out literally to bless him. That is why I didn't give them this, but if you have a Bible, look at verse 11. And Samuel says, what hast thou done? I'm telling you, he is no mind reader. But when you come to him and you've done everything in the world, there is... <laughs> Here Samuel comes up. Saul ain't said a word. But just the way that Saul comes out and just the way he comes out to bless him, God let Samuel know right off the bat, 
You have overstepped your authority. You are no priest. You have no authority to come out and try to bless a priest. So he come out. Here Saul come out, tried to take on the role of a priest. And Samuel says, you don't realize what you just done. And Samuel later told him, God would have established your kingdom forever. You took on something you didn't have no business doing. And in doing that, God is going to take what kingdom you think you have, you just lost. So, and then all I'm going to say, all I'm going to say concerning this is, in verse 13, Okay, I'm neck deep in this. So I'm going to go a little bit farther. Turn with me. I, I want to go back right quick. Turn with me to uh, look at First First Samuel. Okay, I won't read none there. I'll just t- I'll, I'll just I'll just tell it to you. We have heard, I mean, Brother Boyd, other ministers have spoken of it. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. There is no doubt in my mind whatsoever. The reason I'm hesitating on this is because here is Saul. At this time, at this part of the Bible, you did not, if you was not a priest, you did not dabble in what a priest could do. Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law, when he ripped the veil, if the man is the priest of the home, then what I'm saying today, I don't believe it so much that they're trying to destroy the man. I believe what they're trying to destroy is the priesthood of the home I believe they're trying with everything that's in them because of the authority that God has placed on the priesthood because if God has put an authority uh, on the, the priesthood then then look at it Samuel one of, uh, he, like I said he was a judge he was a prophet, and he was a priest. And here, speaking of a man, I'm not leaving the women out either. Listen to me, women, or mothers, women. Here is a lady that literally goes to the house of God, and she promises one of the greatest, she didn't have no way of knowing, but one of the greatest priest Israel would ever know she dedicated him to the Lord before he was ever even conceived she dedicated him right by herself at the altar before God she said God if you would give me a son then I would give him back to you I would give him back to you so now before he was even born. I want to read. I want to read this to you. I didn't give them. But in speaking of the priesthood. I won't give you my words. I want you to listen to Samuel's. Thinking of the priesthood of the home. Listen to what Samuel, listen to how Samuel says it. For the Lord will not, this is him speaking to Israel. We can apply this to us. And the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing 
to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing that I should pray for you. If I am the priest of my home, I have a mandate. If I don't pray for my own, am I sinning against myself if I do not have my own at heart? Samuel's telling Israel, I'm a priest unto you, and God forbid that I would sin if I would cease to pray for you. And if I am the priest of my own, then am I sinning if I do not even pray for my own family? And I'll just leave that up to you. A king in Second Chronicles, King Uzziah of Judah tried this one time. He thought just because he was king, he could mix these two. Just because he was king, he could take and dabble in the roles of a priest. But God showed him, he struck him with leprosy. And he was the king of Judah. At this time and this place, you didn't do it. That's why I just can't emphasize that too much. There is roles for each and every one of us to fulfill. And we better not blend them is all I can say. Samuel told Saul that he would offer sacrifice to him. And he told him, and I will direct you. And the sole purpose was Israel was at stake. And the disregard of Saul. He's saying, Samuel ain't here yet. And he's not only taking a sacrifice for him, he's got the whole nation of Israel he's responsible for. And he won't even wait until the priest gets there. So that's why God was so just frustrated with him and says, you put my people at jeopardy just because you won't wait for the priest? You're not fit to judge my kingdom. So therefore, (laughs) I'm searching for me another man. So that's exactly what God did. He was neither neither a priest nor a prophet. And even though though Saul felt compelled, anxious, put any word you want to, he had no right to do what he done. When he told him, you bring me the sacrifice, I'm going to do it, he had no right to do this. In 13, chapter 13, verse um, 1 Samuel 13, 13 and 14, Samuel said unto Saul, Thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom of Israel forever. But now the kingdom shall not continue, for the Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be the captain over his people, because thou hast not kept for thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Now, the final straw, I believe, is when God told him to go destroy the Amalekites and for the simple reason. I mean, this, this, this part is lengthy, but I'm not going to be lengthy. For the simple reason, I believe that God wanted him to destroy the Amalekites because when they was coming out of going, when, when they was leaving Egypt, going to Canaan, they attacked the weak, the feeble. The, the Bible says they come up and attack the vulnerable, as I would put it. So God said, you attack my people and you attack the weak, and you don't think I'm going to do nothing? God said, I'll have war with you through every generation. God said, I ain't letting it go. You get over it, but I ain't getting over it. God said, so Saul, you go destroy these people. And it, it's a little crude, but God said, you don't leave none of them. Leave none of them. That's Bible. That ain't me. That's Bible. You leave none of them. You go destroy. In other words, in our day, we could say it like this. Leave none of the sin. Get rid of it all. We can apply that to us. Don't come back with a little sin and act like God's going to be okay with it. Leave none of the sin. Get rid of it. Get it all done. And don't come back and act like I brought the best. God, you're going to be happy with this. God said, no, get rid of it all. So Saul comes back and he's acting like everything's all right. 
Then he starts saying, Samuel says, what are you doing? You bringing back all of this. And then Saul starts, well, I feared the people. What do you mean you feared the people? In other words, you want favor, you want it all brought about that you, you attacked everybody, you want, you want to be the big man, and then all of a sudden you feared the people? So that's all he done. He's just, I feared the people, I obeyed the voice. When everything goes wrong, Saul blamed the people. It was, well, Lord, I'd be okay if I hadn't had to be made king over your people, God. They're not my people. They're your people. You know, they're the ones doing this. It was all the people's fault. But God said, I want a man after my heart. I want a man after my heart. So that's why he found David. But David was not after his faults. I mean, without his faults. For he surely had them. And I'll try to be, I'll try to be quick. And, but he was, as the Bible puts it, a man after God's own heart. But I tried to condense this. And, but he was a warrior. David was a warrior who literally killed hundreds of men, literally with his own hands. He was a fugitive, a traitor. He had seasons of what we would refer to as backsliding. He was an adulterer, a murderer. But the Bible has this thing in the New Testament that we know about that says, simply says, God is not mocked. And we meet a lot of people that sows in their life for 20 years and, wants, and then has a change of heart and wants God to change everything. I'm human. I can understand that. You know, you know I, I want to be a Christian. Why is all this trouble? You know, and you, and, you know, that's why I say, and that's why I tell people, Galatians, where this verse is taken from, that's saint Center. It doesn't matter who you are. That's humanity. That is humanity. God will not be mocked. Whatever you put in the ground, you're going to get back and some. So he's just saying, David, look what you've done. So Nathan goes to David, gives him enough rope, as we would say, to hang himself. He hangs himself, and then he sticks his finger in his face and says, thou art the man. So the Lord struck the child, and he died. But this is the way the Bible. And take notice of the way the Bible says that the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David. It don't say Bathsheba. It says Uriah's wife. You got no business with Uriah's wife. You had a child with Uriah's wife? Well, that child's not going to live. And therefore, he, Nathan told him, you have took all of this. You have killed all these people. Therefore, have a heart like you want. But the sword is never leaving your house. From this day, do all the good the rest of your life. But the sword is never leaving your house. Now, sometimes that's hard for us to understand. And that's why I said we do our best to try to explain. Now, I will say this. If we take an individual, I've throughout 20 years, that has lived the roughest life you can live, that has sowed as many as you can sow for 20 years and comes to God, do I think he has to reap 20 years? I think we serve a merciful God. Now, do I know the mind of God? Absolutely not. But I do know that what the Bible says, that he's not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I do think that we should pray for mercy. But we can't go to God and say, I've had a change of mind. My past 20 years, I want erased. I can't hit the refresh button and everything's okay. That would be nice. Other words, but there again... I'm not going to stand there and cut somebody off at the knees and tell them you've got 20 years to pay for. That is not right. We got what, what's called as grace. And therefore, there is no way I'm going to tell a person that we have to limit the grace. I don't know how much grace. There's no way I'm going to try to limit grace when I'm the one that's going to need grace. I'm not about to do that. 
because I myself needs grace. So he's telling him that. And then he tells him the sword is never going to leave. And here David, in, in a moment, I don't know what happened to David. He just tells him, you know, they're, they're telling him, you know, you're looking at men. Don't look around at the men. Jehovah is our God. He said, but I want to count Israel. And he says, you shouldn't do this. God is our king. Count them. It almost took 10 months to count them. Well, I'm telling you, God didn't take it good. He said, okay, of the, the men that you counted, you got 70,000 less men in a few hours. So God took 70,000 of them. But I don't know. Here is my point. Saul, when it was all said and done, all he could do was, God, it's your people. In the end, David is just like a compass. It just shake it all you want. When it settles, it's going to find its way back north. Shake David all you could. And when it was all said and done, he's going to be bent east looking towards Jerusalem. So when it was all said and done, when 70,000 of them, he, God told, he told God, he said, they didn't have nothing to do with this. This was me. This was not your sheep that did this. This was me. Don't take any more of them. And God stopped it. That was the difference between him and Saul. Saul blamed the people, and David interceded for the people. And God said, that's what I'm looking for. Get somebody that will get their mouth off the people and I intercede for the people. And that's what David would do is just when everything else went wrong, what drove David to do the things he done? I don't know. But when it was all said and done, David still had a heart towards God. He still sought God. It just drive, what drove him to do what he done? I don't know. But in the end, he still, he still had a heart. So in the end... He still sought God. He wanted to do this. But you could say they had two kings, but God only got one of them's heart. He really, he really did. And it really and truly, I mean, it is once said, I wrote this down when I come across it. It's not, it's not original to me. It's not sinning that ruins the man. Because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. But sinning and not repenting is what's going to ruin me. The falling and not getting up. Now, I want to go back to our original thing where I open. It says, Romans five nineteen. For, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. This will always, always encourage me about Adam as long as I live. It's because I will always say that God could have just started over and no one would have ever knew it. For he says, by the one man's disobedience, how could one man corrupt an entire race and God not just start over. <laughs> I just can't fathom that. I just cannot fathom that of a God that just didn't. Your history, buddy. I'm starting over. So, by one man's disobedience, many, that's us, were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, when God took on flesh, he gave us grace to overcome the sin that would try to corrupt and try to bind and try to hinder us. In verse 20, the Bible says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now, I've always heard it said, a definition of sin, just simply put, and keep this analogy in your mind, is to miss the mark. So if that's the case, if your goal is heaven, and just look at heaven as a mark, 
If you sin, you've missed that mark. In verse 20, the Bible tells us, the law entered that the offense might abound. So he was saying, I look at it like where he said that the offense might abound of God taking Adam and Eve and saying, you cannot stay in the Garden of Eden any longer. You have sinned lest you reached the tree of life and live forever in that state. So now he tells them the law entered that the offense might abound. In other words, the wrong that I just done was magnified. In other words, look at it like this. What the law did is show me how much I missed the mark. He said that the offense might abound. So not only was God trying to say, look how much you missed, God, through his mercy, is showing me, I'm trying to do right, but showed me just where I'm missing the mark. So he's telling, he said that the, uh, that the offense might abound, that I've missed the mark, and the Bible tells us that all our righteousness is as filthy rags, but Grace did much more abound. A natural that God has given us, so easily understood, is that darkness can never, ever overcome light. It will never, ever happen. So when you see someone that's literally so bogged down, you know, he said where sin abounds, grace did the more abound. So we can take heart within ourselves, no matter the situations we find ourselves in. It may be hard. And it probably is at times. But God, your word says, where sin abounds, grace did the more abound. So I can have the grace. Verse 21 says it like this, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. You know, the return of your investment. In other words, if you give yourself unto sin all of your life, the wages of sin, the Bible tells us, is death. So he says, as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness. Now, I think, and it's been said about Pentecostals that we don't offer grace, and I think that's insane. I'm telling you. That is, if that is true, that is entirely a shame. And I'm telling you, I'll be the first to admit it. Because I think it is downright ridiculous that if I have the, uh, I, I started to say authority, I don't have the authority. But if I have the compassion to offer someone grace and I choose not to do it, who am I? I need more grace than, than they do. Because if I believe God's word like it says, for this life to be eternal, then who am I trying to hold back something from them? Because the Bible says it like this. Even so might grace reign through righteousness. Some it says if you offer grace, you're condoning the sin. That's ridiculous. The Bible says that grace might reign. Reign here means rule. That grace might rule through righteousness. We're not saying that God give us grace so we can go out and commit every sin in the world. That's not what the Bible is saying. That grace might reign through righteousness. In other words, what I'm saying, sin is this. I've missed the mark. Here's the law. It showed me I missed the mark by a mile. But God said, you can't make it? Then let me put my arms of grace around you. You can't reach that mark, then I'll put my grace around you. And somehow, when you say, I just can't do this, God said, I'll give you the grace that I'll, I'll help you hit the mark. When you can't do it, then I'll help you hit the mark. Because he said grace did the more abound. So he said that the grace is going to rule through righteousness to what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ. So he takes, he's going to do this. It's going to rule through righteousness in our life. So God rules through righteousness. The righteousness is going to be a standard. It's going to be with respect. Grace don't accommodate sin, confronts it. We have this. We have the fellowship. 
Now, and I'll end in this. I see they're ready. There's 12 verses in the Bible that I could find where the Bible says, and the Lord repented. Now, not one of them, not one of them will you find that the Bible says, will grace be linked to one of them? You won't find grace linked to one of them. God never repented for giving man grace. Because you know what? And I'm not trying to be crude here, but be as righteous and holy as you want. Because you ain't going to make it to heaven without grace. And when I think I'm so holy that I don't need grace, I need it more than anybody. But Bible says, let grace rule through righteousness. And when I do that, I'm not condoning sin. What I'm doing is saying, God, I need your help. And through your help, that the mark that I see, the place that I want to hit, I can do that. And I can do it through grace. Because I believe that I can get the ability. Because God said, when I like the ability to hit the mark, then all I got to do is ask for grace. And I don't have to worry. Because the sin is here. Grace is up here. And I thank him for it. Hallelujah. Let's stand. God bless you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.